This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to the radio and the internet ministry of the Christian Crusaders. Is there such a thing as an ideal church? And if so, what would it be like? Here's Pastor Steve Kramer with today's message. The prevailing church has a strong confession. How would you describe your ideal church? Well, for the next few weeks, we're going to listen to Jesus tell us about His ideal church. I hope you'll stay with us. We begin in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Merciful God, we thank you for the many gifts that you've given us. Food, clothing, home, family, daily work, everything we need from day to day. We especially thank you today for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our reading for today is from Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then Jesus strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Dear friends, these are unsettling times for the church of Jesus Christ. For instance, with this pandemic, churches, for the sake of public safety, are having to shut down worship and educational and fellowship gatherings. It's difficult for us, and we wonder about the church's future health in this new normal. We hear news also of persecution of the Christian church in other parts of the world, and we observe the growing challenge of religious pluralism in our own society. We also hear questioning of basic Christian doctrine by some church leaders that alarms us, and conflict and politicizing of the church among our own rank and file. And with all this going on, we might find ourselves wondering about the future of the church. There seems to be so much working against us. It actually would be easy to develop a rather dismal outlook on the future of the church, lamenting, woe is us, what's to become of us, things look bad. But I, for one, am optimistic about the church and its future. I hope you are too. I'm confident for a number of reasons. First of all, the church has not really been shut down these past few months. This community of faith all around the world is still worshiping and still working. 
I've observed some great and creative things being done as it continues to work towards living out the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. But there's another reason that I'm optimistic about the church, the best reason of all. The risen Lord Jesus loves his church, and he is still building her today. And he has promised that it shall prevail and will still be standing at the end of time. Today we begin a little series on the church using lectionary lessons from Matthew's Gospel. And we listen to Jesus on how he envisions his prevailing church to operate in the world. Our passage for today is actually the the first mention of church that we have in this gospel. In fact, Matthew is the only gospel that even uses the word church. And today's theme is the prevailing church of Christ is founded on a strong confession of faith. Jesus has brought his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, which is a territory north of Galilee. It's a pagan territory, all kinds of temples and gods and goddesses. And These disciples have been with him for some time now, witnessing his miracles and listening to his kingdom teachings. And now in this place, in the midst of all these religions, after all this time with him, Jesus asks them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Meaning, who do people say I am? There are all kinds of opinions on that question. The disciples respond. He said, they say, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. That's pretty lofty company. We see the same thing today. There are a variety of opinions upon Jesus, uh, about Jesus. He's a good teacher, a philosopher, one of the great prophets of history. Some might say more negative things like he's a fraud, a nutcase. Well, we learn in today's story that he's so much more than all of that. Jesus then gets personal with the disciples and says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, which is perhaps, his reply is perhaps representing the opinion of the other disciples. We can't be sure. But he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now that phrase, the Christ, means God's anointed one. God's Messiah that Israel had been waiting for to rule over them as a king. It's a kingly title. Peter seems to see that in Jesus as he says, you're the Christ. You're that Messiah we've been waiting for, the King. Though in next week's passage, we'll find out that Peter has a a different idea of what that kingship was to look like. Interestingly, it's also worth noting that in biblical times, it was kings and priests and prophets that were sometimes anointed with oil as they were called into God's service. And when you think about it, Jesus actually is all of those things, isn't he? He's the priest who connects us to God, the prophet who tells us of God, and the king who ushers in the kingdom of God. Well, Peter also goes on to call Jesus something else. He says, you're the son of the living God. Peter sees something divine about Jesus. Of course, we see that conclusion coming out of the mouths of the disciples in the boat earlier 
when Jesus walked on the water and stilled the storm on the Sea of Galilee. At that time, the disciples worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So here we have this, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Very lofty words to describe Jesus. What a strong confession of faith. At least Jesus seems to think so. Because look at how Jesus responds to Peter's statement. He does not correct him, does he? Instead, he congratulates him. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Jesus says, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. He's given you this revelation. A word of congratulations to Peter is coming out of the mouth of Jesus. Good for you, Peter, he seems to be saying. God's favor is resting on you. You've been blessed. You've been given an all-important revelation from my Father in heaven about me. Your faith is a heavenly gift. Only God could have revealed this and helped you to understand who I am. I would have to think that Jesus was smiling when he said these things because it had to have been an uplifting moment for Jesus himself after all this rejection he had been receiving lately from other people. This confession of faith reassured him that his father was working with him in all of this. Amazing. People, Peter sees Jesus for who he really is. It was an affirmation for Jesus. And then Jesus commissions him after he congratulates him. He gives him a glimpse of the future. And I tell you, you are Peter, Jesus said. And on this rock, I will build my church and the powers of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter got a new name, didn't he? Rock. We could just call him Rocky. And that new name is not given because now Peter's a miracle worker or a visionary or a prophet of some sort or a personality that is solid and rock-like or unflinching. It's not because he's now to be considered the head of this new community, nor is the name given because he's a great doer of deeds of righteousness. It's given because he has received faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. In that confession of faith, Jesus sees the beginning of something great, his church. A future community of disciples confessing that he is a Christ, the Son of God. Proclaiming this to the world, serving him, carrying out God's purposes for the world. The point Jesus is making when he says this is simply this, that he's found in Peter a real believer. And on that kind of foundation, he can build his prevailing church. It's important that we notice here that it is Jesus who promises that he will build this new community. And that it is his church. I will build my church, he says. It's not my church, as we sometimes will say. Come to my church. Peter and those who confess faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, are part of it. Integral parts of the foundation. For instance, we'll see in the book of Acts, after Peter and the other disciples witness about Jesus to others, that the Lord added to their number daily. This prevailing church of Jesus is built then on a strong confession of faith in him. It boldly professes Jesus as 
our beautiful Savior, the King of creation, the Son of the living God who rescues sinners and changes lives and gives new life to all who will follow him in faith. G. Campbell Morgan, a great preacher of the past, once made this remark about the church's need to hang on to a strong confession of faith in Christ. He said, The church of God, apart from the person of Christ, is a useless structure. However ornate it may be in its organization, however perfect in all its arrangement, however rich and increased with goods, if the church is not revealing the person of Jesus Christ, lifting him to the height where all people can see him, then the church becomes an impertinence and a sham a blasphemy and a fraud, and the sooner the world is rid of it, the better. Jesus not only congratulates and commissions, next Jesus confers something to Peter, to the church. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, and whoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What's he talking about here? He's talking about they now have the authority to carry out ministry and make disciples of people in the church. Authority is being given here, the keys to the kingdom, the authority to bind and loose, to offer forgiveness. All of this is basically about The confessing church carrying out the ministry of making disciples, going into the world with the good news of forgiveness in Christ and what he has done for sinners. And after conversion, passing on to them the teaching of Jesus about kingdom values and principles and truths and their part in God's redemptive plan for the world. In other words, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, as Jesus said in the Great Commission. We also see that it's about ethical regulating of the new community in Christ, admitting people to the community as well as excluding them from the community. And finally, what I want us to focus on here today is to look at that promising future that he gives the church that confesses him. This is a promise that thrills my soul, and I hang on to this even during the most unsettling times when I'm feeling despairing about the church. He says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Here we're being told by Jesus that we should not be surprised if we find ourselves in a spiritual battle as the church. We will find ourselves under attack as our master Jesus was. Satan wants to destroy. This is no walk in the park that Christ invites us on. Later on, Peter will testify in his letter to some other persecuted churches, Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Be firm in your faith. Being a part of the church of Jesus Christ is no Sunday school picnic. It's a call to battle. And here we learn that while the battle is raging, the gates of hell shall not prevail. 
as we, the church, confess Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, in the midst of our relativistic world with all kinds of religions, and we meet resistance, and we find ourselves facing temptations to give up, Jesus promises that not even the power of hell can conquer his church. Try as Satan may. The church that Jesus is building prevails. Uh, a light went on for me when I came across this comment by Dr. Robert Smith in his commentary on Matthew's Gospel. Hear these words. Confession of Jesus as your king involves saying no to other powers and other leaders, thereby opening disciples of Jesus to their wrath and persecution. But Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, shares his own indestructible life with members of his community. All consuming Hades will never consume or destroy the people of God. On the contrary, hell shall not be able to resist the power of heaven's liberating and resurrecting work in Jesus and his community, the church. Listen, folks. Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection has ultimately won the battle. He's defeated Satan and his cohorts. He has overcome the power of sin and death. We, the church, though we may be experiencing suffering and uncertainties and unsettling times and persecution, in the midst of the, we have to remember we're in the midst of mop-up operations. The end, we know. We follow a victorious Savior and Lord. One day every knee will bow before Jesus. So we can trust Christ's promise that, that because he is building it, the church cannot be defeated by the hosts of darkness because the church is the assembly of people Jesus Messiah is building and it cannot die. This verse is the basis of hope and confidence for us in the church who confess and follow Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. I came across this wonderful story that inspired me. In an interview shortly before his death, Dallas Willard, a professor who wrote widely on spiritual formation in the church, was asked about the challenges facing the church. And Dr. Willard spent much of his life addressing the problem of why the church isn't raising up more people who look and act like Jesus. At the end of the two-hour interview, he was asked this pointed question. When you look at how off-track the church is, do you ever just throw up your hands in despair? Willard smiled and said, never. But how can you not, the interviewer asked, because he said, I know Christ is the head of his church and he knows what he's doing. That, my dear friends, is why I remain optimistic about the future of the church that's built on a strong confession of Jesus. Like Dallas Willard says, he is the head of the church and he knows what he is doing. So brothers and sisters of the church of Jesus, let us keep believing and professing that truth about Jesus, that he is a Christ, the son of the living God in whom there is rescue and new life with God forever. For we have his word, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we pray for your church. May we be a bold, confident, and trusting people, always making a strong confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now as you go on your way, may Christ go with you. May he go before you to show you the way, behind you to encourage you, beside you to befriend you, above you to watch over and within you to give you his peace. Amen. Amen.
You've been worshiping with the radio and the internet ministry of the Christian Crusaders. If you'd like to listen to today's message again, you can find it on one of three podcasts. The first podcast, called the CC Broadcast, is where weekly services are archived. The second podcast, called the CC Podcast Conversations, is where we archive inspiring interviews with interesting Christians, such as gangster and murderer Ron Gruber and NFL football player from the University of Iowa, Ike Boddicker and other interesting and inspiring interviews we believe you'll enjoy. The third podcast, called the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotionals, is where we host our daily Bible overview with six-minute devotions. These podcasts can be subscribed to on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and others. You'll find links to them on our website, christiancrusaders.org. Living the Jesus Life series features Pastor Kramer's 15 sermons that take a closer look at the book of Philippians and what the Apostle Paul wanted us to know about living the life God wants for us in His Son. If you enjoyed the series and want to read or listen again, or for the first time, contact us at Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. We have the complete series available in print or audio versions for a suggested donation of $25 or more. For more information, call us at 319-277-0924 or visit our webpage at www.christiancrusaders.org. Christian Crusaders continues to be of vital importance to the spiritual needs of many who listen. So we are asking you to help make this program possible through your prayers and financial considerations. Address your gifts to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. Or call us toll-free at 1-888-MY-FAITH. In the Cedar Falls, Waterloo, Iowa area, dial 277-0924. Or visit us on the internet, christiancrusaders.org. It's a convenient and secure way to support this ministry with your credit card. We thank all those who support this ministry with their prayers and gifts. You've been worshiping with the Christian Crusaders radio and internet ministry, and we pray you will join us again next week on this station. Conducting the service was our speaker, Pastor Steve Kramer. Christian Crusaders has been broadcasting and podcasting biblical truth since 1936.